All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, a conversation with Neil Blackman of Saturday Down South and the Florida Basketball Hour podcast. Uh, Neil does great work, uh, again, not just covering Florida, uh, but also the SEC uh, for Saturday Down South. And so we hit on a lot of different topics uh, looking at the Florida basketball season and uh, how things unfolded there for the Gators and the expectations uh, for not only the team, but also for Mike White uh, moving forward. Uh, We went into uh, the NBA draft process and uh, player eligibility, which have been two uh, big topics uh, in college uh, basketball right now and uh, for other sports as well when we look at the player eligibility aspect with the NCAA uh, set to make a decision on uh, whether they're going to give another season uh, to winter sport athletes and spring sport athletes. Uh, So we went into that a bit. And uh, the impact on SEC football and how um, no spring games, uh, likely no spring practice, how that's going to affect teams heading into the season and uh, what some of the scenarios could be uh, for the SEC football season uh, if any additional changes uh, have to be made on that. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Saturday Down South writer and Florida Basketball Hour host Neil Blackman. All right, guys, my guest is Neil Blackman, uh, who, as I mentioned uh, in the intro, does uh, great work uh, for Saturday Down South and the host of the Florida Basketball Hour podcast. Uh, I highly recommend uh, both uh, avenues there uh, for great stuff uh, if you're a Florida fan and uh, an SEC fan as well. Neil, uh, thanks for joining me, man. As we were talking before we came on, uh, normally you and I would be uh, all over Twitter. We'd be giddy right now getting ready for the Sweet 16, um, but uh, unfortunately not the case. Yeah, thanks for having me, Blake. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the circumstances are are strange, I think, for everybody. And, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Sweet 16 night is – or the two Sweet 16 nights are some of my favorite nights of, of sports and it's it's just so weird and to not have an NCAA tournament well for Florida Gator fans uh as we know Shelby Mast uh, who does the uh the resident uh, expert bracketology guy uh the USA Today uh he is doing his own tournament and he's playing it out um as the tor- tournament would be played out so tonight sweet 16 games and neil the florida gators have made the sweet 16 uh, in shelby's bracket so i don't know if they'll hang a banner for that <laughs> but uh, at least they're there <laughs> yeah they're there though uh, i see michigan state as the opponent so i imagine <laughs> that this will be their last evening in the in the tournament well at least they're <laughs> getting there and uh, i guess that that's where we start this conversation is with basketball and we'll get into some uh some eligibility stuff which has been a hot topic uh, around college sports and uh, sec football a little bit later but i mean starting with the gators and basketball um it's still march uh, everybody would still be talking basketball right now i know just looking at the season as a whole we talked throughout the season um we went into the season I, I was one of the people you know that thought this team was was probably a top 15 team uh just looking at the talent on paper I know it didn't necessarily play out that way you've had I guess a couple weeks now I mean we've all been thinking about other things but uh to, to look at this season as a whole what was maybe the biggest takeaway you had uh, from this team this season um I think I think it was really two things you know I think first I don't think anybody really appreciated how much Florida would miss Kavari's Hayes defensively. Yep. Um, and so I think that was a big part of what happened early in the year when they were still trying to gel offensively. 
the defense wasn't at the traditional Mike White levels, right? I mean, every year under Mike White, Florida had finished with a, a defense that ranked in the top 25 in both the Haslam metrics, Ken Palm, you know, basically whatever analytical system you want to use. Florida was elite defensively under Mike White. I think a big reason for that was they had super athletic John Igbunu year one, Dorian Finney-Smith. Then they had Kavarius Hayes. And the way that they like to defend the pick and roll in particular and ball screens, a guy like Kavarius, just an elite defensive player in, in, to protect the paint. Kerry Blackshear plays really hard, but, you know, that athleticism deficit, I think the staff, it took a while for them to adjust to that, Blake. And so I think that's something none of us really took into account. And then the other point I'd make is that, you know, the McDonald's All-Americans, uh, they were freshmen. You know, and it yep. makes you appreciate somebody like John Calipari and what he does year in, year out. Because while Scotty Lewis was playing very well by the end of the season, um, you know, that last couple weeks, it would have been fun to see him in Nashville, for example, the way he had he had played. Um, but, you know, Trey Mann, a lot of growing pains uh, for a guy who I, I think is going to be an electric, very good college player, maybe as soon as next year. But. Uh, so that so that was an adjustment too, and and you know, you put all that together, and you get a team that that, you know, they lost 12 games. Blake, they led nine of the games that they lost by eight points or more. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was very close to being what we thought, but at the same time, not that close. If that makes sense. Well, I think you bring up a good point, and we we said it going in. You brought up the John Calipari thing. Um, you know, every single season, Kentucky is one of the least experienced teams in the country. Like, if they're not the least experienced, they're second to the least experienced. Like, it was them and Duke, I think, a couple of years ago. Like, that's just what we've come accustomed to at this point. But, you know, for a team like Florida, who was, I think, in the bottom five or six, if you look at Ken Palm and experience, that's just not something you have every year. And so I think it is an adjustment period uh, and you have to adjust throughout the season and, and that's not always easy to do. And so I do think that played a role, you know, maybe in them not reaching the expectations we necessarily had uh, early in the season. But uh, one guy that did, and uh, this will become a, a Keontae Johnson uh, appreciation podcast for the next couple minutes. Um, I just thought, and you and I, we, we laugh about it all the time. I mean, we, we've both been very high on this guy ever since he, he stepped on camp is there and I just thought his development I mean once again I think he showed what he's capable of um and to think you know he's still only a sophomore I think still you look at this guy all the potential in the world uh he finishes Florida's leading score he played 31 minutes a game averaged 14.7 rebounds but I think he's emerged as as really one of the better players in the SEC yeah he deserved to you know he was named first team all league by the coaches and he yep. deserved to be um he is incredibly fundamentally sound, which gets lost in his athleticism, Blake. And it's something that you and I noticed. I mean, to your credit, you you kind of noticed how fundamentally good he was as a freshman. He plays on two feet. Uh, he he attacks closeouts better than you know. It's like Michael Kidd Gilchrist like um, the way that he can attack a closeout. He's active defensively. He's active on the glass. He shot 38% from beyond the arc on relatively high volume, um, which was second uh, on Florida and among the top 15 in the SEC in three-point percentage. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, you know, he's got a decision to make because the thing with him is he does have the 42-inch vertical. He is built like a linebacker. 
whatever comparison you want to make, Raja Bell, uh, PJ Tucker, you know, he's going to be a little undersized no matter what in his career, but he's a guy that would walk onto NBA floors and be one of the most athletic guys on the floor, uh, period, next, next year. So I think for him, does he trust what's on film? Because with, with this pandemic, it really does alter the way that the draft happens. And so I think a guy like Keontae comes back for his junior year and has, you know, the Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, player of the year candidate type year that I think he's capable of having, you know, and, and then does he become a lottery pick? Does he make himself a lot of money um, doing that, even though there's always going to be questions about, well, he's six five and what's his position in the NBA. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, just a tremendous basketball player and, and becoming a leader late in the year, which is hard for a kid that's, that I think is generally kind of easygoing and, and off the court, right. Uh, yep. Quiet. So everything that Mike White could want. And, and, you know, to be honest, I mean, let's just be really honest about it. Keontae's decision about next season really is the key to Florida next year, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And coming up, we're going to talk more about that NBA draft process because it is something that's been a hot topic. We've talked about it here on the podcast. We, we've mentioned some of the coaches that, that have talked about it as well. And we'll get more into that uh, and some other stuff on Mike White and uh, player eligibility uh, around college sports. We'll get into that coming up here on the Locked On SEC podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Neil, um, Mike White, I want to get into that real quick before we talk about this draft and eligibility stuff. Um, I thought it was pretty fascinating, and I pointed this out to someone. If the NCAA tournament happens, and let's say Florida gets an opportunity, if they would have played well you know, here in Nashville in the SEC tournament, maybe they wind up as a seven seed, something like that. Um, I think even as an eight or nine seed, if this team played up to its potential, I probably wouldn't want to be that number one seed in their part of the bracket. Do you think, and I don't, this is a question we don't know the answer to, but does not having an NCAA tournament, because there there were frustrations, I know, with with fans, with Mike White, with how this season played out. Do you think not having the tournament was a a positive or a negative, maybe, in terms of of Mike White's job security? And I'm not suggesting that he's going to go out and get fired next year. I just know there are a lot of frustrated fans, and I don't know, I guess, either way, whether, you know, I guess potentially, you know, you could play your way into the tournament and probably, um, you know, take some of that pressure off of you. But but I don't know exactly how this thing would have played out if they had the tournament or really if it would have mattered either way. Well, look, if, if they had played in Nashville, a couple things could have happened, right? Florida could have gotten to the 20-win mark, which isn't what it used to be. But it would have been every year in his tenure he won 20 games um, with one more win. They would have, they were going to the NCAA tournament regardless. So he would have been in his, this would have been his, this is his fifth year. So he would have been the only other coach that with four NCAA bids in a row in the league was going to be John Calipari. Yep. Uh, and if they won a game, the, and assuming Kentucky won their first game, the only coaches with four consecutive years where they won a game in the NCAA tournament from the SEC would have been him and John Calipari. Um, I think it hurts, quite honestly, because I think any objective view of this season, you kind of look, I felt like the coaching staff didn't do the greatest job on the floor. Now, I think they're doing a much better job in recruiting uh, the last two years, and that's kind of a factor of how you evaluate the staff. 
But I do think that there's going to be some pressure on them next year, and that's pressure that could have been erased in the NCAA tournament. I mean, like you said, if they were a seven, uh, you like your chances against almost any two uh, if they play up to their potential. Not that they'd win, but you like your chances. And then I think certainly, uh, you know, they would have matched up pretty well with with Dayton um, had they been in Dayton's regional. So it would have matched up pretty well with Gonzaga had they been in Gonzaga's regional. It's no disrespect to those teams, but, you know, Florida had its potential was a team that could have a 20-point lead against Kentucky in the second half, right? So (laughs) (laughs) they could also then lose that game. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so – I do. I, I definitely think it hurt. Um, and the other reason I think it hurt is that Florida was playing better, you know, yep. down the stretch. That, that they they end up finishing in the top 25 in the Haslam metrics. They end up playing finishing about 31st in Ken Palm, and all that was trending up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it was a team that was starting to play its best basketball. Well, and we go ahead to, to next year, like we were saying, um, it could be a big year there for them, and, and it could all depend on the roster. And um, that's what we has been something we've talked about a lot here on the podcast. We had Eric Musselman on earlier in the week. Uh, I thought he made some good points on the NBA draft process and how that could impact college basketball. John Calipari had his uh, media video conference um, a couple of days ago, too, and he was expressing his concerns with it in terms of player preparation and all that, because right now we don't know exactly what the changes are going to be to the NBA draft process. I think all we know is that it's pretty obvious there's not going to be the same type of system where we have all these in-person combines um, and you're just not going to have as much of this this in-person time between scouts and players like you do every offseason. Um, from your perspective, how do you see some of these changes impacting? Because for me, I think it's those guys that are projected probably second-round type of picks um, because of all the uncertainty with the NBA, with even playing overseas maybe at this point. I just think it's going to turn out to be a scenario where some of these guys that we thought were probably going to wind up going as second-round picks or just wanting to pursue professional basketball, I think there's a lot of these guys that may wind up coming back to college just because of all the unknowns. Yeah, so I kind of have I've been trying to think of, you know, what my main three thoughts on this are. And I guess the first one is I think you're exactly right. Second round and guaranteed contract issues are often so reliant on those workouts, um, especially the individual team workouts. And I can't imagine that that's not going to be limited by by the pandemic. So Andrew Nimhart is a great example of somebody that might be able to use those workouts to his advantage. Um, I can't imagine that, that, you know, Andrew's going to be able to do that. So there's a lot of well-sourced information that suggests that, you know, even though he tested the waters last year, and usually if you do that, you're gone the next year, that Andrew will be back um, for his junior year at Florida because, you know, he's, he's not a really elite athlete. So, you know, he needs to show it from a basketball standpoint. Uh, the second thought I had was, what guys that are known athletes put on film is going to matter a lot more to yep. me because again, no workout. So, you know, that Keontae is a good example of somebody there. They might like Keontae Johnson more because of the film and, and be less concerned with the workout. And then the third thing is, is I do think it favors the for the second round and guaranteed guys, not for your lottery guys, but I think 
guys that interview well, because that's probably still going to be a process that takes place. You know, you can do that with Zoom, however you want to do it. Those guys, you know, if you know what they are from that athleticism standpoint and they can ace interviews, you know, maybe people are ponying up some guaranteed money for them, whether it's as a second round pick or here's a guaranteed two-year deal for a G League guy. You know, how does that affect some of Kentucky's guys? How does that affect uh, Scotty Lewis would be another guy, you know, you think would interview really well. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think it changes the process a lot. And some of the things that used to be kind of just part of it become more important. And really the whole dynamic, and it's not just the NBA draft at this point. Like, it's recruiting, as we know. I mean, recruiting is completely different right now uh, for coaches. Yeah. And, and I think that adds another layer. And then – you know, to get into this other part of it, um, the NCAA eligibility thing. And I know, I think Jeff Goodman reported that the NCAA was going to vote on March 30th um, on eligibility for both winter and spring sport athletes. And look, here's where I stand, Neil. I I get it. Like I'm as frustrated as anyone for for the seniors in college basketball that that don't get that opportunity and these other sports, um, you know, to play in the postseason and all that. But I also realize that there are probably some logistical things with with granting an extra year of eligibility to the seniors from this past season that the NCAA could have issues with. I have to believe that their focus is going to be on these spring sport athletes and getting them that extra year of eligibility just based on, again, um, number of games played, um, how much of the entire season was played as a whole. How do you see this thing playing out? Because that would be my guess at this point is that I feel pretty good about the fact that the NCAA will vote on an extra year of eligibility for spring sport athletes. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the situation uh, for the winter sport athletes. Yeah, I agree with you, Blake. I mean, you know, you're not going to find many uh, fans outside of Baton Rouge that appreciate a guy like Skyler Mays more than me and crushes me that he he didn't get to play in the – play in the NCAA tournament as a senior and kind of have his moment, um, you know, but he's just one example. And, and, but, but they did, they got their full season other than tournament play. And yeah, I mean, I think it just creates all sorts of logistical issues. Uh, and, I, and I don't expect, I expect there will be some dissent, but I, I do think that's how they'll, they'll break it out with, with giving the spring athletes who had their seasons, you know, dramatically shortened another year of eligibility because you know they really did lose their senior seasons yep they did and uh something else that i know people are talking about and we've we've spent a lot of time on basketball but uh we're getting close to that range where we'd be talking about uh, sec football too and coming up we will get into uh some of the uh the issues surrounding that of course when it comes to spring practice uh, spring games being canceled all that we'll look ahead uh, to how this could impact sec football season uh, coming up here on the locked on sec podcast part of the locked on podcast network all right neil sec football um you know uh, we we had to get there and, and i've told people I, i'm trying to stick to basketball through march i want to be able to give people uh their basketball <laughs> juices here uh in the month of march but uh we're also looking ahead to, to sec football as we know and it's been interesting there as well. And, and as we've said, this situation has literally impacted everything sports-wise. And, um, you know, spring games have been canceled. Uh, spring practice likely to be in the same situation. I know Greg Sankey left open the April 15th possibility. I think we all understand that's not going to happen. Um, this is something that's going to take months probably to play out instead of weeks. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we know teams aren't going to be practicing on April 16th. Um, 
as you look at this here, I mean, there there are so many questions. And with everything we talked about, it's, it's all hypotheticals. It's all based on unknowns because we don't know the full timeline of this thing right now. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on where, where do things maybe go from here? Because I think all we can do is play the guessing game in terms of, okay, let's assume that the season starts as normal in, in late August, early September. But the problem is, like, we, we don't know when teams are going to be able to start practicing. Um, you know, could it be a situation where they only have a certain amount of time to practice, even if the, the season goes on according to plan? Where, where are you at with all this right now? Because I think I'm just like, I'm looking at different scenarios, and, and I don't know exactly how this thing plays out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to figure out. The one thing that I know, you know, God willing, this, this, uh, this pandemic, this health crisis gets gets under control. You know, of course, we all want that, and and, and we want everybody to stay safe. But, uh, you know, a benefit of that, uh, you know, kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things, I guess. But from a college athletic standpoint, um, they need college football season. You know, and you saw the comments. Uh, I thought uh, Scott Strickland said, you know, it would just be rattle the core of of college athletics. And I think he's right. And so one scenario that I've contemplated, I keep coming back to in my head is this idea of, of conference games only. Yeah. And maybe, 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 um, you know, you could preserve if you have an end of the year rivalry game and everybody wants to play it, you know, Florida plays Florida state, you know, South Carolina, Clemson, maybe they'll be able to preserve that. But yeah, I mean, it really depends on when they can get back on the field. I mean, you know, if it's not something that if it's, if this pandemic drags on into June, July, then some of the solutions I've thought of, well, maybe they could, if there's no spring ball, can they extend summer practice? Well, then you got to worry about heat Yeah. and, you know, people have indoor practice facilities, but it's still hot. And, you know, how much can the body take and, and this and that and the other. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to, to imagine there's so many scenarios it's hard to figure them out but the one thing i keep thinking is the television contracts can get them through if they have to play in empty stadiums in september what they can't do is you know if at all possible they have to save conference play uh the tv contracts and the money for the rest of the sports is just too important well and i think it's my thing too you mentioned like let's say it is june or july before you know let's say they they give the go ahead in june or july it's like okay let's let's go forth you know we're we're back to normal here and and we're going to practice as usual and and we're going to get ready for the season it's like from a coach's standpoint if you don't start practice until june or july and you know let's say the season is going to start as normal at the first of september i'm curious where coaches would stand on that because here's the thing too and i talked about this with josh ward who hosts the uh, locked on vols podcast and he brought up a good point i thought is think about all these freshmen coming in i mean this isn't like this is different from basketball like think about how many freshmen come in on a football team each season and some of these transfers look at a team like georgia who's bringing in a quarterback like jamie newman yeah. who you know i mean you you have to get acclimated to things that are completely different and i think that too is going to be something where and josh brought this up for teams that have you know guys that have been in place um you know that that have these older teams and we usually say you know obviously experience matters in, in all the different sports but i think especially potentially in a season like this where you know, maybe you don't have that same amount of time. We already know that spring practice is going to be affected. 
Um, teams that are older, teams that have quarterbacks in place, position players in place, um, that have been in their spot for maybe a couple years. They already know the system. There aren't coordinator changes, for example, like you know here at Vanderbilt, where you've got two different coordinators coming in. Um, you don't have a head coaching change. I, I think that has to be an advantage, you know, for teams, especially probably going into a season like this, where you're not going to have that same amount of time uh, together in the spring uh, to get ready for the season, no matter when that season starts. Yeah, I mean, one thing I brought up on a Saturday Down South podcast that I was on recently was just was was something similar to that point that I think, and it's something I've heard from from fans in Gainesville that have a, you know, and outside of Gainesville. Florida fans that have read some of the stuff that I've written. Oh, you know, Florida's got, you know, a fifth-year quarterback. They've got, you know, all this experience um, on defense. You know, it's an established system, this and that and the other. And I think, is that a huge advantage? You know, and it's hard at this time when there's so many other important things going on to think about strategic advantages. But if you look at it from a pure football standpoint, I mean, yeah, I mean, a, a team like Georgia, it's not just a, a quarterback. It's a brand-new coordinator. Yep. It's Kirby Smart wanting to to uh, overhaul the whole offensive system. And it's 10 new starters on offense. So, yes, some of the guys behind those 10 guys played. <laughs> uh, but is that an advantage for, for a team like like Florida or for – a team like Alabama that has more stability in terms of what's coming back. Yeah. I think it's absolutely an advantage for those programs. School I schools that are like Georgia that are installing new systems, Vanderbilt, LSU, trying to figure out who their quarterback is going to be. Good luck replacing Joe Burrow, by the way, <laughs> uh, you, you know, and now you're asking them to replace Joe Burrow and practice might not start till July. I mean, you know, and, and, and their passing coordinator guy is gone. So Joe Brady. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting in a compressed season. I definitely think is advantage to the more experienced teams. Well, and again, that's all hypothetical at this point, and, and that's all we have to go off of. Uh, yeah. You know, we have podcasts <laughs> to do, we have stuff to write, and and I know it's it's frustrating for everyone, but like we said, we know the most important thing is the health of everyone, and and that's the focus right now. But uh, you know, for sports fans, they also want to to try to think ahead to to what things could look like, you know, once, once action resumes yep. and, and that's what we're trying to do. And it'll be interesting. Like we said, um, you know, how this whole thing plays out, there's no way of knowing right now, but, uh, we'll see, um, how the SEC, you know, proceeds and, and how things are affected both on the basketball, uh, and football front here moving forward. But Neil, always great, uh, to talk to you, my friend. Um, as we said, uh, normally you and I would probably be, uh, talking about the sweet 16. Um, it would still be a lot of fun to talk about that, but there's still lots going on. And as I said, uh, you can let everybody know where you, you where they can find all of your great work. Uh, you do great stuff for Saturday down South and on the, uh, Florida basketball hour podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate the chance to talk to you, Blake, in these strange times. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Anybody that wants to, to check out my work, please do it at Saturday Down South. I'm also on Twitter at uh, MWBlackman, B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N. So, um, you know, usually pretty varied uh, stuff there. And then Florida Basketball Hour is also on Twitter at Florida BB Hour. So, uh, make sure to, to check that out if you're interested. And, and, you know, we don't just talk Florida basketball at Florida Basketball Hour. We're, 
do some SEC work. Not as well as Blake, but we'll try. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And you do, you guys do a great job, you and Eric Fawcett. Uh, yeah, be sure to check that out and check out the Saturday Down South stuff as well. Neil, uh, thanks as always for joining me, man. Look forward to talking to you again here soon. Yeah, man. Take care. All right, that was the conversation with Neil Blackman, and thanks again to Neil for joining me here on the podcast. Uh, a really great discussion on a variety of SEC topics, and uh, be sure you're subscribed. Head over to any podcast app you use. Uh, just search for Lockdown SEC, and again, if you enjoy the show, be sure to leave a, a nice five-star rating review. That just helps the show reach more people. For everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. And uh, as we continue to talk about, if you're excited for the upcoming NFL Draft and want some great coverage, just tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NFL Draft for great NFL Draft coverage. But thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network.